the customer that most desperately wants your product is not the best customer for your product. What's really important when you're looking for customers is to avoid a significant adverse selection where you're only getting customers who are higher risk. By embedding yourself in the workflows of partners where SMBs come on a daily, weekly basis, you create a more healthy, more balanced selection of customers across their life cycle. Welcome to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, powered by Gusto. On this show, we explore the intersection of fintech, vertical SaaS, and how software combats the rising complexity of running a business. Our goal is to share stories, advice, and best practices from the leaders and investors behind today's cutting-edge platforms. This episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast is brought to you by Gusto Embedded. Gusto has spent a decade building and testing its payroll, tax filing, and compliance infrastructure, which is available as a robust set of APIs so you can develop custom-tailored payroll solutions. For more information, go to embedded.gusto.com. Here's your host, Brian Bush. On this episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, my guest is Prashant Fuloria. The CEO of Fundbox, a leading working capital platform for small businesses. Prashant, welcome to the show. Brian, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to have you on and get into this one, but let's anchor the audience. Please tell us a little bit about your background and the journey that brought you career-wise to the CEO post at Fundbox. Brian, I guess I'm a fintech CEO by occupation, but I'm really a recovering product manager. I built my career as a product manager, mostly in consumer internet companies, as an early PM at Google, and then at Facebook or Meta. And both of those were pretty young companies. I then joined a startup that built a mobile app development platform for mobile analytics and advertising that was then acquired by Yahoo. So I sometimes joke that I've done Yahoo, Google, and Facebook, but not in the right order. And then after that stint, I joined Funbox about seven years ago, initially to run product and then operations. And then for the last four years, I've been running the company as CEO. Well, I appreciate that. And I think we'll dive in a little bit deeper to some of those specific points. First, I want to say congrats. Forbes rated Funbox the best small business loans in 2023. I saw recently you were on the CB Insights FinTech 250 again. So congrats all the way around. Please give us also your version of two minutes on what is Funbox. Oh, absolutely. Funbox is a working capital platform for small businesses. And so what that means really is that our mission is to help the small business economy grow and power that economy by providing capital as needed, capital on demand for small businesses. And we serve our customers directly through our app and through our website, but the majority of our business is actually done through partners where we typically embed ourselves in the workflows of different accounting software systems, invoicing apps, vertical SaaS players, and so on, what have you, as they serve their small business customers so that we can provide capital solutions to our ultimate SMB customers at the point of need. I appreciate that. And you all have been out with some research recently, and I want to dive into, but to tee us up, we know this on the Gusto side, poor cash flow management is a big reason that small businesses fail. We know that meeting payroll is one of the key drivers for certain working capital products or for financial services for small businesses. So let's dive a little bit deeper on how you see the market need for the capital products you offer. And specifically, how does a fintech like Funbox bring us around to how you compare to traditional lenders who haven't necessarily solved 
this problem in a way that satisfies SMBs or maybe haven't kept up with the changes in tech trends? I think when a small business looks for a financial service, including capital, even today, I think the first thing to think about is turning to their bank, the folks that they bank with. And unfortunately, most banks today don't address the needs of small businesses when it comes to working capital and cash flow. And there are, there are two parts to it. The first is just most banks are not set up to serve small businesses in an economically viable way. I don't know if you know this, Brian, but it takes the average bank about $3,000 in human capital to underwrite a small business because you have people, an underwriter, an auditor, looking at the statements of the small business, looking at their bank balances and trends, and then making a decision. And so $3,000 is a lot of money. So if it takes you $3,000 to underwrite a small business, you want to be giving them a fairly large financial product to make enough margin on the product over time to recover your fixed cost. But what if you're a small, small business and you're looking for a modest financial product, maybe a $20,000 loan or $10,000 line of credit? Well, it just doesn't make economic sense to employ or deploy a very human capital intensive solution to that problem. And this is where automation is needed, right? So that's sort of one part of it. The other part of it is the user experience and the convenience around providing these solutions also often leaves a lot to be desired. Very often, in order to get a loan, you have to walk into your bank branch, talk to a banker. It may take a lot of time. And if there's one thing that our small business customers are pressed for, it's time. They have so many other things to do. And so this is where a solution like Fundbox, which is one, completely automated, like 99% or more of our decisions are just simply made through our machine learning systems. And our cost of underwriting a customer is much less than $10, right? I'm giving you a large number. Plus the experience of it being online, digital, and best of all, within the app or the ecosystem that you're already spending your time on is just a world of difference from what you may have to use otherwise in the small business owner. So I just want to put a pin in that point. It is impressive to see how that traditional user experience of walking into the bank, so to speak, is so closely tied to that. I had no idea that the cost would be on the order of $3,000 to underwrite a single loan. Although now that you say it out loud, it certainly makes sense. Brian, let me give you an anecdote of something that happened to me, not related to small business capital, but just the banking experience. I have a son who is 16 years old. And a few weeks ago, we decided that he should get his own bank account. And guess what? We couldn't do it online. We went to our local branch store. We stood in line. And when we got to the counter, the lady told us that, oh, I'm sorry, I can't open a bank account for your son. It has to be a banker. We're like, fine, we'll just get a banker. Do you have an appointment? We didn't. So we had to go back four days later. And we spent about 45 minutes with the banker. And all he did was take my son's passport, some other identification, and set up his account. Something that we could have done online ourselves at home and saved about maybe one to two hours of time. And so that's not capital. It's opening a bank account. But it's a very similar ethos, right, in terms of a variety of financial services. And I'm not trying to be critical of a particular bank. I'm just sort of making a broad statement about financial services and just the gap that we have that we can close in terms of where people want the experience to be. And our customers, whether consumers or small businesses, are spoiled by all the other online experiences they have, whether it's shopping or whether it's communication versus what they get in the financial services realm. 
Well, it is shocking that banks can still get away with that. I am curious, in your opinion, what are banks doing to catch up? And more importantly, after that, kind of where is Funbox different? So take us a little bit through sort of how the fintech landscape, particularly for capital products, is changing and where Funbox is sitting in that that evolution. Yeah, I'll share a broad thought about banks versus fintechs. And I, I've stopped thinking about it from that lens, if you will, because a number of banks are building technology. They've got product teams and designers and so on and are trying to, in some cases, successfully provide great experiences. And then, of course, you have fintechs that are also working closely with banks. It's a little bit like if you go back to the last two decades of e-commerce, you've got folks like Amazon and you've got folks like Walmart. Of course, Amazon being a digital-first, internet-first player that now is looking at trying to create more of a retail footprint on the one hand through Amazon Go or their acquisition of Whole Foods. But on the other hand, you have someone like Walmart that obviously had you know, stores all across the country that has now built up a very formidable tech stack, very cool technology around different parts of the overall commerce experience and fulfillment. And that is now providing a very high quality service to consumers. I think that there's ample opportunity for both new entrants and for incumbents to provide a lot of value. I think where Funbox comes in is, and kind of where we are different, I, I would say is in two things. And one is our focus on data and automation. So right from the very beginning, we've been very focused on using data, especially transactional data, to underwrite small businesses and their risks. And that has manifest in building and deploying machine learning models and so on that have led to over 99% of our decisions being fully automated. So as a typical Funbox customer, you're not waiting for hours or even too many minutes. Literally within 30 seconds or a minute of applying, you're getting some sort of response from us. That's really very fast and the data is really helpful. The emphasis on data and automation is one part. The other part, of course, is the embedded experience where we've been embedded from the very beginning. In fact, our very first product was done as an integration with QuickBooks, where we would provide financing to QuickBooks customers who had issued invoices, but who hadn't gotten paid against those invoices. So from the very beginning, we've seen and realized the value of providing a financial product in an embedded context. I appreciate that. And I appreciate as well, reminding us of, hey, Walmart hasn't disappeared with the rise of Amazon. And hence, it's unlikely to think that banks will disappear from the financial services, even as fintech rises. So let's actually talk more about some of those companies and platforms that you're embedded in. I think a lot of platforms, particularly in the small medium business space, are building embedded lending products of some sort. So would love your take on what do you think is pushing this trend Maybe any differences between working capital versus growth capital that you see? And where does the technology landscape really excite you when it comes to embedded finance? So there's a lot in that question. I think, first of all, it's absolutely true. The very fact that you and I are on this podcast is a reflection of how important embedded financial services is. And we can talk more about how I see that sort of trend evolving. But when it comes to capital, I do think that folks realize the value of the embedded model, both in terms of data, because you can get access to underlying data from the platform that you're embedded in, whether it's payment data or invoicing data or accounting software data or what have you. And by the way, we work with partners that cover a broad set of categories. You know, On the one hand, we've got a very well-known partner in QuickBooks and the leading accounting software package in the US and maybe around the world. 
We work with payment providers. We work with vertical SaaS players like Housecon Pro and Jobber for home service professionals and so on and so forth. And so we, we cover a, a broad range of partnerships. And apart from the data, there's also the distribution aspect, which is you're just being able to engage and reach out to small business customers through distribution. Now, in the world of capital, distribution has two parts to it. It's not just the fact that you're putting yourself in front of customers and reaching more customers. It's also the selection. And if you think about it, credit is a fairly unique product. Perhaps insurance is similar in that oftentimes the customer that most desperately wants your product is not the best customer for your product. And so what's really important when you're looking for customers is to avoid a significant adverse selection where you're only getting customers who are high risk by embedding yourself in the workflows of partners where SMBs come on a daily, weekly basis you create a more healthy, more balanced selection of customers across their life cycle. So it's data and distribution, and the distribution has this little wrinkle where the selection is also pretty material. So that's a fascinating point. How do you think about then the evolution of the Funbox Capital Platform a bit, but how do you think about identifying the right software partners who will or maybe as the embedded fintech in this case, do you think you have the ability to bias towards partners that will not bring too much adverse selection? Or do you work with them to make sure that they're not bringing too much adverse selection as you're sort of building and growing that part of their business? So I think when we think about partners, we think about three things. The first is scale. Every partner does require some amount of investment. And even though you may make your APIs more easily accessible and you may do things like that, but when it comes to training your models and tweaking your models, every partner at scale is different. And so there's some amount of investment. So we're looking for partners that are at a certain scale. And on that, I'll add a sidebar, which is even from a partner perspective, let's suppose you're a vertical SaaS player and you're very, very early. You've got a thousand small business customers. Perhaps now is not the right time to spend embedding Funbox into your experience because maybe you have more fundamental things to think about, like do you have product market fit? Do you have a compelling product that can engage and drive a large number of customers? Now, you should always be thinking about a future with more and more embedded financial services. And you should probably think about that from the very beginning. But do you actually start embedding them when you have a thousand customers? Or do you wait until you have a more meaningful base of pick your number, 10,000, 25,000 SMBs, which at which point it starts to get more meaningful? So scale is definitely important, number one. The second is engagement. And if you look at different kinds of partners, they have different engagement cycles. There are products and ecosystems that are being used on a daily basis. Well, that's great. There are some ecosystems where the end customer may only log in or check out the service once every few months. Well, that's a different dynamic. And so I think that the engagement that the platform has also makes a difference to your ability to access the platform or the customer base in a way that's positive. The third thing, which is a little bit softer, is around the teams and the incentives of the partner. One thing that I'm seeing, I think a very interesting trend, and I'm sure you may be seeing this on your end as well, is there are more players today where there is a person and there is a team that is focused on embedded fintech. So you may have vertical SaaS player X that is generally solving the needs of a particular segment. And they've got a person and a team whose job it is to think about all the players that they could potentially embed to provide a broader set of services, whether it's someone like Gusto through payroll or someone like Funbox through capital, 
And so once you have a clear business owner who's been given that mandate, right, I think it does make it easier to have the conversations with the right folks, as opposed to a very generic partnerships person who's thinking about distribution partnerships, embedded partnerships, and so on. So there's also a little bit of where's the organization, where's the partner in terms of thinking about embedded solutions and how aligned are you in terms of using that to create customer value? Yeah. And I just want to recap, you said when it comes to partner, three things you think about first scale, second engagement, that's actually product engagement, user experience. And third is called the organizational loci or the organizational focus. And I agree, we are seeing frequently earlier and earlier stage, particularly vertical SaaS companies who say, we're going to build a full suite of embedded fintech products. It's just a question of when and what order, so on and so forth, which I think is a great story for some, maybe for your venture investors these days. I do think when exactly to the point you made, when you start to see folks creating a C-level or a very senior position around a chief fintech officer or a VP of financial services, it becomes more real for the organization. And I agree with you. It's a squishier sort of criterion, if you will, but it certainly speaks to the ability to execute for some of these partners. Prashant, maybe let's get out your crystal ball just a little bit. As an embedded lender and as a capital product that's already serving, I forget if it's tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of customers to date through Fundbox, is the goal to build out a broader suite of financial tools and products? Or is it really kind of, you talked about scale, is it really the focus, at least for the near term on scale and distribution? I think I would start with scale and distribution as number one. What we've learned is that the need for capital is very significant. The demand is high and the supply is low. With this evolution in the landscape of having vertical players and some horizontal players that want to embed capital, there is ample opportunity for us. We're very well positioned in terms of having had the operating experience running capital. And capital is an area where there's a lot of nuance in the specifics of how do you manage credit risk and so on and so forth that I think we can capitalize on. Sorry for the really bad pun there. And at the same time, there's things that we have to do. Like our partners are pushing us in things like, well, what are all the capabilities that you can expose to APIs versus a custom integration? How can you make it just easier as we bring on new partners to onboard? So there's work for us to do there as well. I think when it comes to expanding the product, I mean, there are things that we have experimented with. There are things that we have in beta. We've got a product called FlexPay, which lets us essentially provide like an overdraft for our customer. They can use Fundbox to make critical business payments like payroll, where they can use a Fundbox provided bank account as opposed to their regular bank account, where in case they don't have enough funds, we will backstop their transaction for them and then give them time to make that payment. But all the products that we are building and thinking about are all what I'm going to call embeddable, which means that all of these products, we might use them and test them on our directly acquired customers to see how they work. But we are thinking about them with the eye of a partner might want to take the FlexPay product and put it into their workflow in much the same way as say QuickBooks did with Fundbox and invoices. So that's generally our approach. In the very short term, we believe that the opportunity is huge and we're focused more on scale and just serving more customers through our existing and also through new partners. Well, if I can put you on the hot seat and keep the crystal ball for just a moment, you have some partners that are more horizontal, excuse me, like QuickBooks that you mentioned. You have now, you're working with many of these rising stars in the vertical SaaS space. 
I guess the punch you would ask it is who wins? How do you see the horizontal versus vertical side or dynamic playing out, especially with this rise of more and more embedded fintech? So I'm going to make three assertions, which are perhaps all maybe commonsensical. The first is when it comes to small businesses, a small business owner is likely going to want all their solutions in one place, as opposed to deal with the complexity of having like best of breed, which is much more suited for enterprise. I think the second thing is many business processes, especially the ones that are more customer facing, so think more on the sort of upstream when it comes to finances, are quite different by vertical. So even if you look at, say, a hair salon or a restaurant, well, they're both retail, they're both B2C, but the customer engagement is very, very different. Like there's scheduling required for one, there's menus and online ordering for the other and so on. And I think the third thing is that fintech or financial services, let's call it that, is hard. Like each part of the domain is difficult. Like, you know, you're probably deep into payroll. There's a number of operational, regulatory, economic aspects around payroll. We've spent 10 years just building our muscle around capital. These are complex spaces and it's hard for any one company to do multiple things really very well. So if you put all those three assertions together, I think with what we're going to see is that we're going to see vertical players continue to grow and win when it comes to getting new customers and growth. And especially when it comes to the smaller end of small businesses. Again, if you're a sole proprietor, are you really going to use four different systems as opposed to, let's say, a 25 or 50 person company? Now, a horizontal player like, say, QuickBooks, which of course is very well established in the accounting domain where there's a little bit less nuance, differences between, say, let's go back to our hair salon and our barber, or maybe even payroll, where the payroll operations for a hair salon operator and a restaurant are a little bit more similar. I think those kinds of horizontal folks are going to be okay. But a horizontal player, which is very much focused on, let's say, invoicing, how much market is there for a more generic invoicing product when a plumber can say, I want my invoicing to be part of my home service professional package, like a jobber or a house call pro, by the both of whom are Fundbox partners. So I think that market's going to move much more to the vertical. And as far as the horizontal pairs are concerned, I think they're not only going to do okay with the sort of the more general applications, but they're also going to start embedding themselves and partnering with all these vertical players as a major driver of growth. And at least, I don't know about Gusto, but for us, we see that as a major driver for our growth. Yes, we will stay horizontal in the sense that we will have our website, we will have our app, we get a fair amount of organic traffic and so on, and that's great. And that drives part of our business. But the clear majority of our business and the clear direction is to embed ourselves where we can, provide a horizontal service like capital to folks that have nailed the user engagement and the dynamics of walking to the verticals. So that's where I think things are going to be. And it's interesting to see how this is all going to play out. Well, Prashant, the key thing that I want to kind of double click into or, or reiterate, which is, and by the way, I love your three assertions. I think the fundamental one being a certain consumer or a certain business does want that all-in-one solution, which I think is being borne out, but is, I think, foundational to much of this. You know, The fact that from there, the market will segment maybe more granularly than we've seen in the past. As you said, sort of the smaller consumers or smaller businesses in a very specific vertical niche may really appreciate those vertical solutions, which may push the more horizontal solutions into different market segments. But it doesn't mean that they're going away. I think that that's a really interesting insight. Would you correct me on any of that? No, I think let's suppose you're a hundred person small business. 
At which point, I think, for example, for the payroll example, using Gusto directly seems to make a lot of sense. But if I'm a five-person shop, maybe I won't think of Gusto directly. But if Gusto were part of the vertical OS that I was using, it would make a lot of sense. And I can't claim to know what your strategy is, but I'm assuming that's sort of how Gusto is thinking about addressing an even larger segment of the market by having two different ways to serve customers. There's a direct, which, which has its own place, and then there is the embedded, which has its own place in a certain set of customers where that makes more sense, ultimately for the end customer, which then drives everything else. Your intuition is almost spot on. I think our CEO, Josh, would say it's about solving customer pain. And then I think the corollary would be customers will appreciate some choice in the market. And so that means as the provider, we believe that some partners or some customers will always want the core Gusto solution. Many others will want their payroll embedded via platforms that they use every day, exactly as you mentioned. And we just want to be a part of that because ultimately it's solving the customer pain and it's solving it in a more effective way, hopefully for that small business. Well, Prashant, I want to wrap up. We call this the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast. Many of our listeners are like you, SaaS leaders who are building these types of solutions. So I want to wrap up just a little bit with what advice do you give to SaaS partners who are thinking about partnering with an embedded capital product or maybe just embedded fintech in general? Well, well, first of all, I would say that these are really exciting times. And rather than providing any great advice on what to do and what not to do, I think I would just want to perhaps end on a note of optimism, especially given some of the challenges that financial services and fintech have faced over the last six, 12 months in the economy and in the market. I'm perhaps a few years on you, Brian, so I can probably talk a little bit about the dot-com crash of 99. And back at that time, there was a lot of promise for the consumer internet and a lot of exuberance and enthusiasm. And then there was a correction in the market in 99 and 2000. But the consumer internet did not die. What happened was, yes, there were some companies, I remember Webvan buying things online for the first time that had a spectacular bust, but there were other companies like Amazon that survived. And then over the next decade or two, built incredibly strong businesses. So I think we're in a little bit of the dot-com moment of financial services. And so it can be a little depressing or a little disheartening to see you know, market value being wiped out or what have you. But if you take a step back and your frame of perspective is not just like the next few months, but the next five years and 10 years, I think what we're going to see are good companies surviving through these challenging times and then kind of building really very, very meaningful businesses, more importantly, adding a lot of value over the next decade. So I feel we're in that moment. And so if I can offer anything, it's just a word of optimism for folks who are like all of us in the trenches, digging, trying to kind of build something better. I think we're at actually a really good point where the impact of what we do over the next decade or two is going to be very, very significant. We just have to grind it out through the times that we're in right now. Well, Prashant, I don't think anybody could say it better. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but without the benefit of as much experience, but with definitely sort of, we've seen the broader view, the hype cycle is a very well-known concept these days. And what I like about your take is the optimistic lens on that is that this evolution and this innovation requires experimentation. That will mean some failures. But as you said, overall, if we, as the SaaS community are smart about it, we think about the risks that we're taking and try to manage those risks without being flippant about it. Over time, we will work through that hype cycle and there should be a lot more value on the other side. Absolutely. Well, Prashant, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we wrap up, if any of our listeners are interested to connect with you online, 
go deeper, ask some other questions about some of the topics covered today, where would be easiest to find you or to connect with you? You could uh, reach me on LinkedIn. My handle is my last name, Honoria, F-U-L-O-R-I-A. Or you could reach me on the app, I guess it was formerly known as Twitter, where my handle is P Floria. So I would appreciate and love it if any of you reached out, happy to answer any questions there and connect. And once again, thank you, Brian, for having me. Absolutely. Prashant, it's been a pleasure. Have a really great day. And for all the listeners, thank you for your time today. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the SMB Tech Innovators podcast. We'll make sure to link to any resources that were mentioned in today's show in the show notes. Please also feel free to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast or to connect with the Gusto Embedded team via LinkedIn. In particular, we'd love to hear any future guests you'd like us to have on the show. Thanks again for listening and keep a lookout for the next episode.